Broadcasting from the commodity capital of the world, Zurich, Switzerland, this is Insider's Guide to Energy. This edition to Insider's Guide to Energy is brought to you by Fidectus. Go to www.fidectus.com for more information. Welcome to Insider's Guide to Energy. I'm your host, Chris Sass, and with me as always is co-host Johan Oberg. Johan, what's going on? Uh, oh, doing good, Chris. Uh, have a busy week behind me, but um, looking forward to it, and uh, Christmas has called me in. How have you been? I am doing well. It's been a busy week. We've been talking to a lot of folks. The podcast has been extremely busy. Um, we've gotten all kinds of new subscribers going on. That's been fantastic. I've uh, been getting more email from different fans, so I, I'm enjoying that. And then the day job is just is incredibly busy. It seems like a great time to be in the energy business, if you if you ask me. It seems to be a busy time. Oh, for sure, for sure. Both in the traditional parts and also the new. There's so much news coming out and and so many cool things that we're seeing uh, across. And and I was actually on the train the other morning and and watching one of my favorite comedians. Uh, building this comedy show around uh, the U.S. energy grid. and all a Swedish the guy that talks about the U.S. energy grid. <laughs> no, this is actually an American – well, he's actually a U.K. guy <laughs> in, on U.S. TV called John Oliver. <laughs> but he did it on the U.S. grid, which I thought was really, really interesting. And he's, you know, informative but really funny. And I thought it was a good connection to, to today's show as well, where you have, you know, you have the energy grid, uh, but there are some challenges. Uh but we're also seeing some new some new opportunities and, and basically a transforming energy landscape. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of transformation going on. You know, as an American, the U.S. grid has some uh, anomaly and uniqueness to it as, as to how it's grown and how it's going to scale and how it's going to support the things in the future or if it's going to. Um, you know, the one great thing about the podcast is, is we're global. We get to talk to people all over. Um, our guest today, I think, is going to bring some U.S. perspective, but I think he's got a bit of a European background as well. I think he can cross the bridge a little bit and, and share a little bit of each. Um, I'm looking forward to today's show. I think that in the interest of time, maybe we should just dive in and introduce our guest. What do you think, Johan? I definitely think so. Let's bring on the star. All right. So this week we have Matthew Sachs uh, from Sea Power with us. Matthew, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you, Chris, and thank you, Johan, for having me. Excited to be here. So... I did briefly mention your company name, SeaPower, but maybe it makes sense for our audience to figure out who our guest is and maybe a little bit about yourself. Yeah, of course. Um, well, SeaPower is a, a leading energy solution provider um, in the States, as you said, and we really try to be our customer's most trusted energy guide towards a, a clean and dependable energy future. But to put that really simple, we form virtual power plants by aggregating our, our customers, big energy users, DERs. These are folks like EV fleet owners, data centers, commercial buildings, farms, um, fleet owners of batteries. And we use that aggregated um, load and um, devices to deliver power and boost the reliability of the grid. To put a couple of numbers around that, today we provide 4.3 gigawatts of distributed energy capacity to both the bulk grid and distributed grids are across the U.S. And um, this is capacity, but, but also other types of grid services, things like FR and, and spinning reserve. Um, maybe worth noting, equally important, at least to me, is why we do this. And, and for me, I started my energy career in, in solar after spending a, a sub-career or a past career in electronics manufacturing and private equity. And I really joined to build a business, but, but I caught this bug in the energy transition early on and, and really wanted to drive help drive this uh, energy transition and, and kind of went through and followed where I thought the great, the greatest barriers were. And, you know, thinking about it, I'm an engineer. I like technology was inspired, but I started in, in solar, as I said, but then went to energy storage and then joined the utility. Um, and, and now really is going where I think the biggest challenge is. I joined Sea Power about two and a half years ago and 
we're looking to balance the grid to enable more 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 renewables. So if we want a renewable future, we really need these flexible resources to keep the grid balanced. And we like to say at Sea Power is good for the grid and better for the community. So so if I'm hearing you correctly, you joined this role a couple of years ago. You saw a problem statement um, and, and and you're saying you can aggregate users up to get more consistent predictability or what, what was the actual problem statement that, that, that drew you towards this? Well, coming from renewables and solar, I, I, I'm a huge fan, but like every resources, they have their challenges and, and the big challenges, it's no secret with, with solar or wind for that matter, is that it's intermittent power. Um, so is this past paradigm where you turn on a, a dial and you produce what you want is, isn't there. If the sun's not shining or a cloud covers or it's nightfall, you get, um, you may not get the supply that matches the demand. So how do you fill those gaps? And one way is to put a bunch of big batteries into the grid and, and that's happening. But another way is to kind of adjust that demand. So, so that demand now reacts to supply instead of supply only reacting to demand. Yeah, no, I think that's an interesting. So when you when you talked about the transition, because I love when, when when you said this, you started up with solar. But can you explain a little bit more? Because uh, I, I read a little bit about this transition that that you that you kind of highlighted, and 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 when we have on this show, we talk about a number of different things, and you know, someone calls it the three D, some calls it the forty five Ds, and uh, of this energy <laughs> transition, there's a number of different things, but. But we, we tend to kind of come across a, a few things. One is obviously the decentralization of, of this. We're talking about digitalization. Uh, but one thing that we come across once in a while from some of our guests is also regulatory uh, parts because it, it's driven by, by by a number of things. And, and I think this is also something that is uh, quite interesting, especially when we start looking at adding more assets onto the to the grid. Um, how, how are you engaged in this? Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. I think, well, first we have four D's maybe good that we don't have 45 because we, we would need some more time. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think the three D's you hear most commonly is decarbonization, more renewables out there, more EVs, right. Which leads to the unpredictability that we just said that decarbonization is the second, uh, sorry, decentralization is the second. And that's really, we're seeing, and we're seeing this firsthand, our customers are adopting more and more devices at their site. These are things like energy storage, EV charging, even microgrids. And, and they're doing that for economic reasons, for sure, but but also for reliability reasons and also for um, more and more sustainability reasons. They, they want to find ways to be sustainable. That third D is digitization. And we think of that as an enabler, you know, there's a, a huge amount of technology that underlies the services we provide today, different than, than where we were 20 years ago, but, but a lot of optimization, real-time computing, real-time telemetry that, that allows us to, to do these other services besides just emergency capacity. Um, and that's what's allowing to connect those decentralized assets back to fill the, um, the gaps that we talked about um, from, from renewables. And last, and this may be a bit unique to the way we look at the world, but we're seeing disruption as the fourth D here. And disruption is things that we didn't expect to happen. So that could be something like COVID when we saw a load shift from Resi to CNI, and now we're seeing a shift back to CNI. But it could also be these extreme weather events that, that we're just seeing more and more right now. So, so that's kind of the first part of what we see as those drivers. Um, now, how... You brought up the point on regulatory uh, or the regulatory paradigm. That's that's really different. That's what makes our job so hard. If there was just one set of, of regulations across the U.S. or across the world, we, we'd be we figured out the problem once. But but each each kind of region um, evolves differently, and you know both there's different needs at that regional level. Maybe there some things are more important, and there's different regulations. So I think. When we look at deploying our resources, we, we really start with the customer and the community that they're in and really try to adapt it to, to really be the best for, for that particular regime. And, and unfortunately, the answer is, is seldom the same um, for, for even the same customer in different regions. Um, so, I mean, maybe that tail part of your question I, I jotted down here is we are a resource. We're, we're not a resource that gets deployed like 
a solar plant, um, but we're a resource that the grid uses and calls on us with our own um, strengths and weaknesses. We're, we're not the right resource for everything. For instance, we'd be a really horrible base load resource. Um, but what we do have going for us is we can be deployed quickly. And that is really important because it's really hard to guess the amount of renewables that are there or even that fourth dean um, and saying, hey, we didn't know COVID was happening. We don't know when the next weather event is and how do you get those things out there? And having you know, 4.3 gigawatts, we're not the biggest resource in the world, but but we're certainly um, you know a significant resource that, that folks depend on. So, so, so help me out. Maybe I just had a long day or I, I'm a little slow on the uptake today. So what is it exactly you guys do? So I, I get the aggregation that you said in kind of the gobbledygook description. So, so help me understand that, you know, as, as, as Johan would say, we like to ask the dumb questions from time to time to time. What is your business actually doing? So someone's engaging you to do what specifically? Yeah, so there's two parts of our our business, right? The first part is grid related, and you know maybe first to say is we sit between the grid and the customer. Um, on the grid side, we take forward positions, we sell capacity, we sell other ancillary services, and we supply that through our customers. And for each customer, we go out there and develop a, a real customized plan that could be turning things off sending a shift home. That, that's how it was done 20 years ago. And there's still a, a bit of that being done today. But on the other side of that, our, our customers have adopted and evolved, adopted new resources and evolved. And what a lot of this is now is putting their generator, their microgrid, their battery, changing how they're charging their fleet of EV school buses um, in a way so that to the grid, it looks like their demand is going down. Typically, it's good if the customer may see no difference in their operation, but to the grid, they're they're pulling less electrons off the grid. Um, does that did that help clear it up? I think so. Yeah, I, I'm just trying to you know kind of make sure I'm, I'm following the conversation. So you've got two sides on, on the the coin. You've got the supply side coming from the grid, and you're working with the grid. You've got the demand that you control how the demand goes in the future, right? So. You said something about being dynamic and acting in real time. So maybe walk us through a use case of something, a real time, a weather event, for example. You talked about one of these once in a hundred year storms happening every week or something like that, right? So, you know, we, we have a big storm come. What's the implications? Let's walk through it from one of your customers' point of views. Yeah, well, I think it comes before the storm, right? First, the customer is concerned about disruptions from a big storm. So they adopt, um, say, a microgrid. Scale microgrids is a, a customer of ours that we work a lot with, but their customers own things like vertical farms. And they want to put a microgrid in to ensure their resiliency, to ensure their product um, maintains any type of, of grid event. Um, so they go out there and, and they purchase this microgrid. And, and to help offset the cost of that, um, they... they rely on some of these grid revenues that we provide. So the, the first big thing we do is we we lower that adoption cost. In Gail's case, they do it as a service, but we're, we're still helping with the economics of that service. Now, in the time, now fast forward to your extreme weather event, a, a hurricane comes to Pennsylvania and wipes out a bunch of power, then that grid runs. But let's say um, it, it's not a hurricane, right? Let's say it's a very cold event and some of the assets that normally supply that aren't able to participate. In that case, we're able to run that generator and battery independently, by the way, um, to supply different support back to that grid. So maybe we're running that generator to supply energy or capacities, capacity resource for supply energy, but maybe frequency is also off. So we could actually use that battery to help provide frequency uh, balancing services back to the grid and, and help that, that whole community stay online and help even other assets from not going off. And then the upside for the owner or the industry on that side, they're rewarded for that behavior by supplying back into the grid? That's correct. They get paid for those services and they even get paid in some cases to be available for those services um, in, in advance. And that would be a, a capacity market. All right. And so your, your company's role is orchestration then of that, right? So you, you facilitate 
them to make that easy so they can focus on their core competence and then have this resource be an yeah, asset for them? Is that well, kind of a, a few things a, we do. One, we, we kind of look at their particular site, right? And what else do they have and how do you optimize their performance and the revenue they could get? Two, we provide the position. The grid's not always interested in buying two, three, four hundred kilowatts at a time, but maybe they like to buy in big pieces, which we, which by taking a bunch of sites like that, we, we could then put it together as a virtual power play. Um, so I think that aggregation has its, its value well. It, it also takes away some of the performance risk is if one customer doesn't quite get there in that time, we, we have you know, 900 other customers that, to balance it. And what we've got over the last 20 years is a very deep understanding of how customers perform and thus can predict very accurately on how the portfolio will perform. So, so, and help me to understand a little bit. When we talk about customers, who who are these customers? Uh, because a customer could be be anything, but it, I, I would assume these are they need some characteristics, some specific, in order to to attract the interest of of your your company. Yeah, that's right. So, our primary customers are large C and I or I and C for your European audience, uh, but industrial and commercial customers out there, and. Um, there are big box retailers, big heavy industry like steel manufacturers, universities, hospitals, even municipalities, um, all, all big part of us. Data centers is a very quickly growing uh, segment for us here. Um, and then there's even some residential um, loads that we bring in, but usually that's working with a residential solutions providers. We have a partnership with Sonova, a big solar plus storage provider here. Um, and we dispatch Sonova and Sonova can dispatch their their fleet of assets. So it, to us, it looks similar to a large CNI site. Great. So so when when you're working with these customers, we we, we discussed the, the, the kind of transformation briefly in the beginning. We had a load of these discussions throughout. We in the industry understand this energy transition. We're now trying to kind of transfer this energy transition to create values for companies that might have seen energy as a pure cost. Now it's, you know, they need to start looking at the three or the nineties or whatever we call it. Uh, but how do you, how do you rank these in terms of, of savviness and of, of energy? What's driving them uh do they understand this? Uh, I'll give you an example. We, we had a customer here in Europe where uh, a big retail chain who stopped putting solar uh, on their retail um, on buildings and literally came back and said, listen, we're becoming a, a utility. We have no idea what to do. <laughs> so so how, how do you work with these customers? Are they savvy? They know what they want and you deliver it? Or is it also kind of helping them on this journey? Because it's not done in one day. Yeah, I mean, look... Customers' background and knowledge really spans the gamut. Um, most customers' energy is not core to their business. Um, so I would say most customers really don't understand it. I mean, of course, everybody understands it at some level, and they shouldn't and don't want to because they have a core business to run, and they need to focus on how to make the best deal or, or how to run their university. Um, but if you pull all customers up, um, we kind of alluded to it earlier, but there's three drivers there. And we see a mix of them all. One is economic drivers, right? We want bill savings. We want revenue from the grid. And we want to offset the costs of, of our current energy spend. The the second um, is resiliency. More and more increasingly important. We, we've had some tough goes in California in 2020, the summer of 2020, and the winter of ERCOT last year. It's I'm sure it's no news to, to most of your audience, um, but but this um, you know, and at the same time, productivity keeps increasing. So that the cost of going down, and not to mention the the social cost around this, but just the cost of going down is is increasing. So customers are, are looking to be more resilient. Um, and then the the last is sustainability, and that that cuts a lot of ways. Um, we have a partnership with. Um, the, company called Wattime, and they look at the, the marginal emissions or really the hour-to-hour -hour emissions of, of, uh, of the gen stack in any region. And what we've done with them is just kind of look to see how much you could shift from one hour by shifting for usually economic reasons, how much carbon emissions are you saving? It? You know, for across our portfolio last year, we did about 7,000 metric tons of, um, of savings. Um, 
which is a, a substantial number. Um, it's about about equal to. Uh, let me not quote it without. I'll, I'll check the number later. It's about equal to. It's equal to a lot of tons of coal that are saved. But but more importantly, um, it, it it helps them save and they could take that credit. But but that's a small part of the puzzle. What they're really trying to do is facilitate more resiliency and and um, more more renewables for their community. So it's helping clean it out, um, you know, helping clean up the grid and, and provide that that local support. Um, so, so, so I, I, I get the renewable angle that you're talking about. Um, I'm going to go back to what we said in the beginning of the show, and we said, well, you you have a North America centric. Your 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 focus. Um, you you came from working in the grid industry before you went to this job. You you've been in North American industry for some time. So, what's unique in the North American market to draw your business there? That it's different in the European market from from your experience because you also have experience, I think, from our previous conversation in the European market. So what, what's the difference between the markets? Like what, why does this work well where you're at and why is it more of a focus for your business just in North America? Well, I don't think it's, you know, at the high level, I don't think it's unique to, to the U.S. I think this is a, a common problem um, or a common opportunity across different grids really everywhere. I mean, we just came from COP26 last week and this was a, a big discussion. Um, we've seen seen it play a fairly big part in, in Europe. Um, I think where it gets unique is going back to those local community and, and regulatory effects that, that we kind of talked about earlier. Um, what we do to balance a grid, say in New Jersey here, may be very a little bit different, not very different, but a little bit different than say the, the Mediterranean region in Europe, right? It's, it's different rules, different customers and, and slightly different problems with a, a ton of commonality though, along the drivers and, and where we have to go. Um, so, you know, for, for sea power in particular, we, we think there's a lot of room to grow in the U S but, but that's not to say there's not an opportunity in Europe. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. That's fair. I just, I just know that you know we're 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 leaning really U.S. centric, and and that's why I was kind of wondering if if the opportunity cost is just different for structuring here, or if regulatory um, differences just drive a business model making it much healthier in the U.S. for the time being, and and maybe it follows in Europe in the future. Yeah, in some ways, you know, some places in Europe or Europe is ahead. National, um, sorry, the U.K. has very good markets for flexibility that are growing and going we we haven't seen those at the wholesale level yet in the u.s um other places is you know we're getting there we're we're trying to to catch up so so you said something else in your previous comment that was interesting is and i know you've been there a couple years but you alluded to the history of your company or history it was it was much longer than a couple years i think you were you're saying this has been going on so so how has this evolved, right? So we we have distributed energy, you, you know, virtual power plant type things. Folks have you know just just a bunch of different, whether it be solar or wind, is growing at quite a quite a pace. Um, what does this evolve from? What, what was what was the old version of this? What, what was this in the pre, in the previous life? Yeah, well, Sea Power was was formed through a series of roll ups over time, and really became the leader in demand response. And it really starts with the the evolution of the grids itself. You know, historically, grids operated in a supply-driven manner. If you turn a light bulb on, if I, I were to turn a light bulb on here in New York, it's somewhere generators reacting to, to send the electrons out there. And over time, we've had advances in communications and technologies, that digitization trend we were talking about. And what it's enabled is this bi-directional grid. So in, in other words, we, like we said, we're going to lower demand instead of increase supply. And that's where C-Power started. And 20 years ago, it... It was much simpler, right? It, it was a, hey, give somebody a call, turn off an elevator, send a shift home, and we'll drop load on that hottest day in the summer when everyone's AC is, is going. But, but that was our predecessor companies, and we've evolved with the grid and the grid needs and technology as it's gone on. And then, you know, someone had the good ideas, well, we could run a backup generator, and that looks to the grid like it's dropping load. And someone said, well, we could automate that backup generator and then we don't have to bother the customer at all. And it becomes a, a little bit more dependable. And then someone said, well, for automating generators, we could automate business um, building controls and, and so forth and so on till we get to today 
where we have all these new devices coming out like solar storage, microgrids, EV charging, and, and it could all, all just play into really our strength. So, you know, there's kind of one way we see these greater deployment of renewables driving a need for flexibility. On the other sense, we see our customers really adopting new solutions at, at breakneck speeds. And we could use those new solutions or the, the megawatts in those new solutions to, to answer the problem of uh, the grid and the need for flexibility. So whether for skill or, or for good fortune, we, we find ourselves sitting in a really good place. So, so what I'm hearing is there's, there's a lot of automation and devices that you, that, that you can take advantage of to either reduce demand or to produce power distributedly so that reduces demand or appears to reduce demand. Demand's still there, but it's just being produced somewhere not on the grid. Um, and then potentially you can also then take advantage of um, getting power back into the grid. So if there's a, if there's an economic value to sell the power back, you can do that as well. So whereas in the old days, you might just send a shift home, you might just cut demand very, um, you know, kind of, you know, use a chainsaw as opposed to a scalpel. Um, now you can maybe come in with a scalpel and say, okay, well, we, we can do this, keep your core business maybe functioning, doing these things and fine tune the power demand. Is that kind of the, the business pitch that you make? I think that's about right. I would say today it's, it's really, for the most part, demand response still or, or changing that demand the way it looks to the grid. Um, I think we're, if we were to look into the future, I think you'll see a lot more injection. Um, and there's for 2022 in the States is, is basically an order from our regulator of our grids here um, that says you, you need to allow these assets to inject um, and, and play and compete equitably with other types of resources. But, but the plans and, and how each um, ISO and RTO will, will implement that are, are still being developed. And so I'm assuming you have a cloud-based platform that you guys have developed that, that does a lot of this magic. Is that technology is not where we, we really talk about with our customers because customers don't um, want it, but there's a ton of technology down there and a lot of different flavors. There's the machine to machine communication all the way to the automated email. We're seeing it move more and more to automated real time things for, for some of these more flexible programs. And that's where we see that value shifting over time. But but some of the older programs, yeah, so, you know, it, it's you still get day ahead notice, and you could you can make your plans accordingly. So it's where I like to think, you know, that I'm pretty sure of where the evolution is going. I think most of us are. Um, the timing is strange, you know. Timing is the hard thing to call. So I think we're we're really helping with those summer peaks and increasingly winter peaks in, in the U.S. now, but but also looking to do those balancing services as, as that need grows and, and we're seeing it grow. So it's uh, we, we have our our uh, foot in, in kind of the old old regime and new regime as well, but, um, but, but really shifting our weight to the new regime. So does the regulated grid operators or the, is the grid, are you friend or foe of them? Are you a partner of theirs or are you kind of a, uh another step in the, the chain like how, how do they view you guys i hope they view us as a friend um we're a resource that they that they buy um so yeah i, I would assume they view us as a friend um and i think there's um particularly you know us and and you know we, we've worked really hard keeping our performance scores and our metrics um so that they view us not I'm less concerned if they view us as a friend or foe, to be honest. What I want them to view us is a dependable resource. In other words, we do what we say we're going to do because that, that, that's what really matters. But um, we're embraced. I, I think um, more and more it's become uh, an accepted resource out there. Um, and I think as we've been in a lot to the work we and our peers have done to, to get there. Um, my, my biggest fear is, is folks come in and in similar types of business models and, and do not perform reliable. And that sets the whole industry back from a regulatory perspective, but, but, um, but it's not trending that way right now. So. Cool. Cause I guess that's one of the challenges, isn't it? We're, we're looking at a, a, a grid or an energy system that has been around for, for quite a while. And, and that is now changing, uh, especially then with, uh, Bidirectional, but also with with smaller assets, uh, prosumers kind of a setup. 
how how is it kind of working with the grid operators but also with your customer in order to kind of coordinate this you, you you're coming in with maybe new technologies with new solutions with additional assets and suddenly you, you have a system that's been working for a hundred something years and <laughs> it how does that work yeah um god well it's it's certainly not your granddaddy's uh demand response we, we joke around at some point and and it's it's that technology and real time um you know telemetry and metering that that we've talked a little bit about we've seen ami in the us you know increasingly adopted although maybe not as quick as i would like um but um, but that is what it allows us to do it. That, that real-time communication combined with real-time optimization and, and computer-aided decision, AI, if you like that word better, uh, really enables that to get that, that next best um, step. But, but what we need, you know, honestly, is we, we need the, the grid to be advanced too, right? You know, right now the, the grid is, you know, the best, uh, best invention of the 20th century. So, so we've read, um, and, and it is amazing, but it's designed in a very static manner. Hmm. Um, you know, kind of like a building is designed to take a maximum load so that if we had a party here on our office floor, it, it won't collapse. But most of the time there's, you know, a 10th of those amount of people in the office. That's how the grid's designed, right? It's, it's designed for those maximum occurrences. And what we need is, is a more dynamic grid. And, what I really hope comes out of some of the um, infrastructure investment and, and other things going around around the world, but certainly in the U.S. as well, um, is that we get the um, the sensors, so to speak. It's not super high tech stuff, but involved so that that it can be operated not as what happens in the worst case, but but really the grid can be adapted. So to, to make that a little simpler, because it's probably complex, if if you have a, a generator. And you want to export into the grid, right? And let's say it makes things simple. It's a one megawatt generator and you want to interconnect. They're going to go look and say, well, what happens in the worst day? How much power is flowing through that line on the absolute worst day when people are pulling the most load and every generator is humming along? And then let's say that generator and you could say, nope, you're not allowed to, to inject into the grid ever because on that worst day. But then you get a day where that generator down the line is down for, for whatever reason, it, it freezes. Well, now you're still not allowed to inject the grid, but why? That line has plenty of capacity at that moment. And, and that's kind of what I'm talking about. How does the grid, different grid operators, particularly in the distribution grid, which gain that visibility. And, and look, some utilities have done a great job of this, and, and but for the most part, they haven't, and not because they haven't thought of it, but because that's not what um, regulators were really willing to reimburse them for. Um, now I think we're seeing that tune change a lot, um, which is going to enable even more, and um, and that's really exciting. But to to your point, Johan, it's it's a really exciting time. But there's a lot of work to be done, and, and there's a ton of challenges going from um, where we were to where we're going to be. And right now, we're we're somewhere in the middle. So, so how do you see this evolving? So if you if you look at the number of EVs, just the demand it puts on a household or the grid and, and you got different. So you have your business users who may get the lion's share of the power today, but suddenly, you know, 50% of the cars on the road become EVs and, and the homes have charging stations and, and, and the power grid's going to change, right? The, the the old maps aren't probably the same as, as they will be in the future. H how is that investment going and how, how is that happening here? Because from what, what we see, at least from doing the podcast, we talked to a lot of companies, a lot of folks putting a lot of investment into electrifying the world and, and doing it at, at a rapid speed. And if I listen to the current administration in the, in the U.S. right now, it's it's behind that effort. Um, so how is that impacting the grid? So, you know, take take off your commercial half from your company, but let's look more generally in the grid. What, what's happening there to support that? You know, EVs and electrify everything will drive load growth, right? Un unquestionably, um, it's just how much and how quick. Um, that's but hard. Doesn't to plan. it change the load growth? The dynamics, like you were saying, as to where that load is also being. Without like if you, a doubt, if you, look at it, yeah. you don't think so. No, no, without a doubt, it will oh, change. Okay. Um, you know, I, I think, and it's going to be really hard from where we sit today to understand all that. Um, yeah, there'll be some things that will be easier to understand, but this is why. 
and this is, you're getting to the heart of, of why I do what I do, um, because you need resources that, that can adapt as things adapt in ways that we don't know. So, you know, one, one place we're starting to do a lot more work and, um, and I think others will be is with electric school buses, right? In some ways, it's a really, really good resource. And there's nothing more elegant than kind of using these same types of devices that are, are driving these challenges. I don't want to say problems because they're, they're solving the problem, but those solving one problem does cause challenges to another. Um, but using these same devices that are driving it to, to then go back and solve the problem at hand. So... Um, you know, I, I could give some examples in Brooklyn. We're working with a company called Ampli that, that's electrifying school buses or, or they're, they're managing the charge of electrified school buses. And, um, yeah. and we're able to use those same school buses and how they charge to balance the grid in, in New York, um, which is great. Now, that's not to say that's going to solve everything, but I think that's solving a lot. And the other way to solve it is it, it's not a, it's more transmission and, and more storage in line. And, I don't think there's, you know, I, I don't think everything is going to be solved on the demand side. Um, I think it's a big part and one of the more complicated parts. But this is a kind of defining moment of our future, and we need all the tools we could get. And different ones uh, are going to drive, uh, you know, are going to develop at different paces, and let's get them all going. Yeah, but I mean, I think we see grid storage coming, right? We've interviewed a few companies doing grid storage, right? Whether it be flow battery technology, whether it be gravity, whether it be, you know, some other, you know, we had mine storage where they were doing some sort of hydro thing in mines. Um, so we've, we've had a number of innovations there. So I, I think some of that's coming, whether we like it or not, it's just the, the investments made there and it's going to come and, and certain uh, operators will accept it and, and bring that in at scale, right? So we'll, we will see some balancing just from legacy kind of architecture, right? I mean, that to me is if you're, you know, if you need to keep your base load and, and you can figure out how to, you know, to leverage the solar at nighttime or in the winter time from the summer sun or whatever the the, the reason is, I, I think that's coming, right? So yeah, then the question, doubt, and we like it. <laughs> so yeah. then the question is, so like your bus example. So you know, so New York, you know, I imagine has a fair number of school buses. It's a fairly large city with lots of lots of population. So there's probably a lot of buses. So what kind of impact does does like a bus project make? I mean, are we talking you know for baseload? It's helping. Is it helping for spikes? Like what what kind of impact can it's helping can for spikes? What we're doing to do is take away now those spikes might come more and more like it's no longer just that hottest summer day, but it's still we are a peaking asset, so to speak. Like it's um, so maybe it peaks every day at, at 4 p.m. when everybody gets home or 7 p.m. when you know the sun starts going down and, and you need it. But, you know, that duck curve type of effect. But but it happens every day. And, you know, the great thing about the school bus is, is it's quick. Right. We, you know, there's not to say that there's zero setup time, but it's months. We're building a new big energy storage um, plant. It takes years. That's, we need to do both. To be 100% clear, I'm a huge fan and, and spent a, a long previous life in grid scale energy storage and grid scale solar and everything. It's, it's, it's very important. And we need the transmission to connect that. Um, but the other thing that it does is, is local. So no matter what you do and where we get, you're going to put a big energy storage facility, say a hundred megawatt battery. It's going to be in one place and there's always going to be a local need in another place. So by going out to these kind of um, going down the radial networks or, or the true grids, um, you, you get this flexibility to, to kind of work through um, local problems and, and create local resiliency as well in, in some cases. So I think we had on the show, um, we discussed it several times, and I like the case that we had. And, you know, we talked about grid scale uh, storage in, in a number of different ways. Uh, we talked about the peak the peak loads, uh, you know, in order to, to stabilize the grid and making sure that we have um, energy when needed. But coming back to your example on the, on the school buses, something that I, I tend to always be quite interesting is that this is good for, for the grid. It's good for society. Of course, we need energy and we need to make sure that we have sustainable energy. But out of curiosity, uh, for the school bus or the company that runs the school buses, uh, is there a business case for them? Why are they doing it? Is it a sustainability message? Are they actually making money on it? Or is it just a pilot? Or what kind of comes out of, of from their side? 
Yeah, so our, our customer is the folks that manage the charging of the school buses. But yeah. but if I put myself one more step down that chain, which is where I think you're going, is I, I think there's a variety of reasons people do this. And I don't buy school buses, so I'm purely speculating <laughs> to be clear. Um, but, That's fine. You can do that on this show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, one, you know, there there is a genuine want to to drive change. And, and then there's the want to project this energy transition. And, and that's really grown in the U.S. over my tenure in energy. Right, I, I started in, in solar in 2007, really. And um, from there, it's it's there. Nobody talked about it then. Now it, it's it's big out there. And even if you don't care about it, you want people to think you care about it, which greenwashing only gets you so far. Eventually, you, you got to do something. So I think that's part of it. Second is because everybody wants this, the, the government now incentivizes it. So there's some big um, incentives that that bring those economics, hopefully make it better, but but at least on par from what we're seeing. And, and I, again, I don't buy school buses, so I, I just take a macro view and I look from the top. And if people are buying it, you think the economics make some sense, right? They're, they're not buying it to lose money. Um, so, um, but but there's a lot of a lot of pulls there too, and. Not all of them are, are we want to green, you know, the energy landscape. Some of them are simply, we don't want our kids in low income communities or any community for that matter, breathing in uh, diesel fuel when they're on the bus. And that's a, that's a big concern as well. Hmm, makes sense. So, so I think we've beat the school buses to death. Um, I, I'm, I'm school bust out. Uh, so let's, 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 let's see where else we can go. So I I think, you know, from the conversation so far for me, the takeaway has been, okay, so we, we manage the demand. We've got some tools. We need a more dynamic grid in the future, because if we have a more dynamic, robust grid that we can react in real time, we can do smarter decisions. Um, you know, one of the things I think you talked about local demand and saturation or local need um, goes to one of the questions. I mean, the grid is the grid because of the way, the history of it, right? If you go all the way back to New York in the early days and Westinghouse and the, all the really exciting when, when power was built in the U.S., right? And how we got the grid. Um, I mean, they sold generators to individual buildings in the early days. It wasn't a foregone conclusion that we we're going to have a grid. And so today, look what we're doing. We have distributed energy. We have microgrids popping up. So I, I could imagine a community with a solar microgrid in the community or a bunch of neighbors pulling together. You're, you're creating virtual power plants, similar kind of concept. So how does that dynamic change things, right? Because, you know, the, the grid's there. It needs a huge investment from what I can tell to, to get it to what we're talking to. So are we going to see more and more just local power and the people that are less reliant on the grid and not using that as the backup? Yeah, I, I hope that's not where we evolve. Quite. I certainly am not a believer in, in mass grid defection, or at least not a believer that it's what's best for society. Um, you know, it's funny, the, where we are in New York, just down the block is uh, J.P. Morgan's uh, museum and, and uh, his, his house, which was like a one of the very early dynamos or, or generators that were accepted. And I, I often sit there and like just walk by it and reflect on the, the same point. So I, maybe a, you hit a, a personal note there. But look, in, in the end of the day, the, the grid is super important. If you take a, a really small like world of one person that has a home and, and an office or a factory, and you have a one megawatt generator, and he has one megawatt of load in each. Like uh, you don't need to be a brilliant mathematician to realize that it's cheaper to put one megawatt generator in one of those locations and connect the two buildings with the wire um, than to put two separate one megawatt generators. So there, there is, you know, when you look at an efficiency, that the grid enables efficiency and enables us to to build off each other's demands. And the math becomes much more difficult when you multiply it by six, seven billion people and many grids and different demand curves. But but the concept is still the same. It's more efficient. So I, I don't think, I hope we don't get there because that would be a really inefficient spend of capital. What I do hope we do is is um, hit this um, happy medium where you get the reliability and the ability to um, green the grid that we want um, at the you know by using these resources that are already out there and being deployed. So the, so the economics are generally pretty good, um, as opposed to 
to keep going further and defect. And the only way we get to that grid defection scenario, in my opinion, is is really through poor policy. If 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 we don't do anything and that and folks take that back and come up with the next, you know, that those technologies will still develop in other regions and then they will be reintroduced as an off-grid product at a much lower cost point. And that's a very scary reality. So it's really if we we just put up our, our arm and like kind of stiff arm all these distributed trends and completely ignore them. That is the only path I, I see to get into that that really inconvenient future, um, and that that won't be good for everyone. But but I think right now it's, and I was worried about that ten years ago. To be honest, at, at this point, I, I think um, most folks have, have come around to see that there's benefit of um, of a happy medium between the two. Okay, so so I get the economies of scale. Um, and, and so what, what I'm hearing you say is that, that the economies drive, drive it as long as you embrace the distributed nature. And, and, and that's part of what this whole conversation has been about by creating a dynamic infrastructure that can respond and use the resources where, where they sit. I, I think that's what we've talked about over the last 45 minutes or so. Does that make sense? Am I, yeah, I think it I makes sense it? to me. Yeah, that's right. Oh, Johan, what do you got? What do you want to, what do you know? I mean, I, I think I've kind of gone six ways to sideways and I, and, you know, I don't want to keep beating the same thing up, but I mean, it, it seems to make sense to me. No, for, for sure. I, I think it's, it's always fascinating to have kind of this, the storyline of, of kind of meeting the old with the new somehow and, and see, you know, how, how we do this. And, and, and I like the way when we, we also got some customer cases, but Maybe as a last question, this this could probably be a show on its own. So so take it as face value and, and, and kind of see if you simplify it. But, you know, as, as a green tech kind of a pioneer working with this for a long period of time, working with a number of customers, but also on the grid side, are there any things that you see in, in the next coming years that this is actually going to be a, a fundamental part of this change? This is really something that you've seen that, that, that we might not seen yet, we haven't heard so much about, but we maybe should keep an eye on. Uh, yeah, I think where we're, I'd like to see the world go is we're at Biden. We, we started at unidirectional. We went to bidirectional. But what I don't think we think about enough is an omnidirectional um, grid. So take the internet, right? And the internet, we, we all generate information, say emails, we all consume a ton of information on the internet and, and we store it, whether in locally or in the cloud, more and more the cloud, but, but we store information. And if I send you an email today, it might route through Frankfurt and tomorrow through St. Louis. It, it continually optimizes. So now back up and let's think about energy for a second. In the world we kind of talked about where, well, we, we've always consumed energy or electricity I'm, I'm talking about here. But now we're we're talking about that we're generating it as well and, and storing it. And that's kind of the analogy to the internet. Now, could we develop the technology to really optimize that flow so that today I supply you and tomorrow the power plant down the road does? And you know, it's a little far out. That's not where we're making money today, but but that's where I, I hope really starts to evolve and then we really start to get to this this resilient and, and grid of the future. So do you weigh into that formula um, green electrons as opposed to, you know, you know Johan's got a data center and he fires up the diesel generator because we're at peak demand and that's probably not as green. Is, is there some weight or calculation in that, in the, in that routing? Well, I, I hope there are more and more green electrons and it depends on how you, what's supplying the, the electrons that are going into that data center. And, you know, in some ways, data centers are a DER themselves, right? And, they, they certainly have a lot of backup generation typically, but that's not what I'm talking about. You, you could scale up and down many data centers in a very module level to, to change that demand. And they're very good at enabling large scale renewables. Now, how you power that data center, you know, I, I hope this is apparent, but, but I'm hoping it's coming from things like offshore winds on the coast and a lot of solar in, in where we got it and, and a lot of good transmission to, to bring that out there. Well, cool. Well, I, I've enjoyed the conversation. I, I'm kind of questioned out. So, you know, I don't know if you have any final thoughts to pull this all together for our audience. I, I think I've done it from my perspective once or twice as we've gone along the way, just to make sure I'm keeping up. Um, what are your final thoughts? So we, we wrap up here. 
Yeah. Well, first, just thank you for for the conversation. I, I enjoyed this. And second, um, as for folks listening out there, as you think of um, different solutions, please try to keep some of those demand side ones in mind as, as we're doing a lot here and but could do more. Yeah. And, and from my perspective, Yo, I don't know about you, but we really hadn't talked about demand side on the podcast yet. We, we talk about new energy. We talk about kind of creating energy, but, you know, in storage. So I, I think it's been an interesting journey for me um, to, to kind of conceptually do it. I mean, I, I, I think it's pretty easy conceptually to understand what it is and, and what the, the power, you know, the problem statement is and then what potentially could be solutions. I know your thoughts, Johan, to close up. No, I, I agree. I agree. We haven't we haven't touched so much on it, and I think it also ties into a lot of the other topics that we've had on the show. So it's it's kind of it kind of wraps it up if we look at the, the series behind us. But I, I think it was really interesting. Uh, I think there are probably more to learn on on the end of the customers. So we talked about, for example, the bus company. Uh, I think we will see more and more around this, not only pure on pure financial business cases, but also, as you mentioned there, in regards to, to be part of, of, of this transformation society, you don't have the diesel fuels or the, or, or the loud engines for it for whatever reason. But I think there's a lot of things, and I think this is where we're going to see more and more. The energy industry will, will focus on, on, on the kind of the grid and, and the, the, the assets around it. But I think, I think we're going to see more and more interactions. We can call it prosumers, but I think it's going to be more than prosumers moving forward. And I think well, that's I think the school bus. The market's going to demand it, right? If, yeah. if, if we get to electrification, like the, the numbers we project, there's going to be oversubscription and somebody's going to need to manage demand because the capacity isn't getting built fast enough to, to meet the projections from what I see. And I, I bet the market naturally demands it at a certain point. Yeah. Because it's going to become a scarce resource, right? You're going to have, not enough to go around would be my projections, but that's unofficial. And I'm just a podcaster. So what do I know? <laughs> well, thank you again for being on the show. For our audience, you've spent another hour listening to Insider's Guide to Audi- uh, Energy. I don't even know the name of our podcast anymore. It's been so exciting. Um, we hope you enjoyed the show as much as we have. If you did, please share this show with your friends. Please subscribe, like us, and we look forward to talking to you again next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.